Good evening and welcome back to another edition of Beyond the Backstage Pass. I am your host, Vince Edwards. You may remember me, know me from Sound Image Productions, and I've got a couple closed roadie Facebook groups, one called Death by Loadout and another one called The Backstage Pass. Come check us out. Uh, tonight with me, near me, my dear, dear, good friend, Kyle Thomas. You're six feet. We're illegal. I think we're like seven feet. I think you're right. Yeah, I put that extra one in for my chick. She just worries about you. Yeah, she doesn't know I what just, kind of uh, bubble you're keeping. I don't know what kind of bubble yeah. you're having either. <laughs> <laughs> I stay in the confines of my gated community. I think. <laughs> Keep it pretty close. <laughs> How you been doing, brother? Good, man. How about yourself? You, you've been uh, busy. I see your, your your lovely mother sent us some cookies. I really oh, appreciate It's a candy that. tin full of some lovely candies. Mom and Dad did that, sent us up. I just went another turn around the planet, so oh, they sent us some so candies. Good. And You know how moms are. They want to make sure you're warm, so she sent me my yearly jammy. Well, you know how this goes. This you you hate candy, so at least, you know, it, it storm rolls into the other thing. It's like... Not a big candy fan, huh? <laughs> not a big candy fan, but our 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 great man, Mike Brown's birthday is today. It and is. And he's definitely Michael, getting some of these the, candies. The octopus's birthday today. We took, took him to lunch and had a good time with him. That's our director and executive producer, co-executive producer. The great Mikey Brown is 33 years old today, and we want to wish him a happy, happy birthday. Without Mikey, look at Tony Lewis already with the pink Sharpie. Tony, I'm going to slap a bitch, seriously. <laughs> Take that pink Sharpie, you know how to do with it. Um, and... Um, and we love him, and we couldn't do it without him. He handles a lot of the, the IT stuff. He's a general all-around guy. Just what a wonderful, we couldn't be more lucky. So we want to wish him a very happy birthday. Happy birthday, Michael. And um, listen, I want to talk about something real quick. I haven't had to do this before in the show. We're at show 40, depending on what you're counting, 41 or 47. <laughs> we'll call it 40. We'll call it 40. Um, and, but last week, we kind of, we didn't do well. We had some, uh, some technological, technical problems, and I, I think I just wasn't in it. You know, I, I won't lie. I think my head wasn't where it needed to be. So I want to apologize to my audience. I am lucky enough to have some great friends that help me do this and some great friends that come on the show. And we do this pretty well for the most part. And last week was not an example of that. So I apologize and we will do better. We can do better and we will do better. And I think tonight's show will show us that. So uh, thank you for bearing with me and uh, accept my apology, please. Um, also... I wanted to thank your lovely girlfriend who had, uh, I, I'm known for her sleep issues, not being able to sleep well and staying up very, very late on an average day. Yeah, you and, got some problems. Man. Seriously. <laughs> I am known to this see This guy's up uh, till like five in the morning. He's up yeah, at eight that's, every that's day. That's pretty regular. Yeah, that's a, it's a thing. And she made me these lovely uh, brownies that were very good, by the way, really delicious. And I, I don't know, they had some kind of secret potion in them or something. I, I, you know, I didn't take it to the, to the chemist to get yeah. it broken down. I just trusted it. But I, th <laughs> I thought it was very sweet of her. Susie Dugan, thank you, Susie. That was extremely sweet of you to send the brownies over. But thank you, honey. And... Yeah, my good friend Chris Wilson, he's a badass in his own right. Uh, you know, he's just like us. He's a, 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 an incredible audio guy in A1, and he's not working as much as he should be or, or would traditionally be working. So he's turned his... Um, I had some earrings I got from my gal, some lineaway earrings that I put up on one of our roadie pages. I showed a picture and it said, just got my girlfriend's earrings and everybody lost their minds because they're kind of unique. It's the uh, the little lineaway, the computer... Uh, what is What is this... They're 3D printed 3D line, printed line It looks like a set of JBLs or yeah. something, some generic brand, but they're pretty cool looking. Yeah, they, yeah, and uh, my girl's got a pair of them. I'm 
you know, I'm not sure if she'll ever wear them, but she, th she told me she thought they were cute. But regardless, I know that right down the alley of something, maybe Susie, I know your girl's in the, in the game, and she's a, an audio badass in her own right, so if you could please give her those for me. Oh, that's very uh, sweet. As a loving gesture and acknowledgement of her kind, kind generosity. Also, I wanted to thank folks for turning in this weekend. We had the long four-inch, I mean, we would really talk this thing up. We put a lot of hours into it. I mean, a lot of hours. It's really hard to explain how many hours in practice and oh, we sure and, did. <laughs> yeah. And the Big Love Benefit concert, well, that came out this weekend. And um, and we just thank everybody that frequented it and purchased it and helped support it. It was uh, it was an, uh, definitely an effort uh, from the heart, some love in there, you know, that went into building that thing and bringing in some of the artists that came with us and some of the technicians. And well, so, I don't think it's going to be the last you hear about it. I think we're transferring maybe to looking at some access TV or some other other viewing options for you guys. So stick stick around and to hear a little bit more about what what we're going to do with it. Well, that's really good to hear because uh, I think it has uh, maybe a little bit more leg to it. It might be able to do a little bit more, but it did pretty good. I was uh, pretty uh, taken with some of the. Uh, interest that was shown in it and some of the money that was raised, which of course will benefit through Sweet Relief and uh, uh, Project Resiliency and Raven Drum Foundation. Uh, sound folks, uh, it, not, excuse me, stagehands and production people. So this is pretty much people in our business that have been uh, affected by, you know, the last 10 months of not working. So you can reach out to them if that's something that uh, you need assistance, they might be able to help you out. Yeah, their forms for filling it out for aid are really easy. It's pretty basic. You, you know, you just label what you've been doing, the companies you're associated with, and a little bit of a background of your knowledge base and stuff and how how much of a percentage really of your overall that you make every year is based in the entertainment industry. And if it meets a certain amount, you are qualified for whatever it ends up being for you. But it's definitely a great help. All right, Jorge Eduardo has sent us a reminder. What's that say, buddy? BLBC is still live until Saturday at 12 midnight. So, so the Big Glove Benefit concert is still, tickets are still available to view it if you didn't get to on its original air date from, I guess, till this Sunday at midnight. Is that what he's saying? Yes. Yeah. Oh, great. Well, if you haven't got a chance to see it, I think you'd enjoy it a great deal. And um, it was it was uh, exciting, good stuff, and it supports a really good cause and some people that would love it. Uh, also, it looks like uh, Jackie from Slow Fibers checked in. She's saying hi to Susie. And now you guys have some matching earrings. On. <laughs> I, I really am lucky to have one of the best girlfriends on the planet. I know Jackie's the best. I love <laughs> so, Susie too. So you guys got to meet and actually talk one day. We got we got to oh, get them together. My girls, the yeah, she's wonderful, and your girls are great. And I can't imagine that only going well. Perfect, good stuff. Uh, listen. Um, Thanks for all the stuff you've been doing this week and kind of getting stuff on board. I know you had some things you wanted to talk about. Yeah, uh, so you remember Sammy. So we got a good buddy, Sam Hurley, a uh, good monitor engineer in the area. He also got these sweet strings packs uh, together for me and Vinny to present to you guys. They're really quality strings. Uh, he goes by these cryo elite kind of technology. So yeah. this little kid is crafty, and uh, you sh if you're looking for some strings, <laughs> you should Sammy check this out. Sammy a little kid. <laughs> He's fucking badass. I mean, you think about anybody I'm very in their 20s with his, uh, creating. That he came up with that. It's yeah. incredible. So yeah. if you guys want some strings, some, some cryogenically treated strings, check out Sweet Strings. Very nice of you. We little love, Sammy. We want you to succeed, and that's a great product. We don't talk about anything that we don't believe in here. So uh, regardless of money or friendship, and those things are pretty cool. So right on. Good stuff. You good? 
Yeah, buddy. Fantastic. Looking forward to tonight. Oh, man. I'm excited to talk to this young lady. Tonight we got us a special guest. You know, you guys, I'm always trying to reach out and interesting and exciting people. Uh, you know, we have the, you tend to see a bunch of my old pro friends come on and and they're exciting. They have their own unique perspective. But we ran across a friend of a friend who is this incredible, this young lady that uh, she's kind of got an extraordinary career today. She's been in the game about 12 years. Uh, she graduated with honors from Rhode Island College. She works in the industry as a lighting technician, a lighting designer, kind of an all-around lighting badass. About the past, a little over a decade, toured with such bands as Annie DeFranco, um, Hart, uh, Pink, one of the best shows in rock and roll, by the way. Pink's lighting show and the rest that Pink gets up to, incredible. Amazing, uh, wonderful woman. Uh, tonight, the, this young lady works with, has worked with Pink recently. And as we've been fortunate enough to get her on this show. Her name is Gabby Schiff. Good evening, Gabby Schiff. How are you this evening? I'm great, Vince. How are you? Oh, dear. It's uh, really wonderful to have you on. We're doing fine over here. Like I said, we're kind of recovering from a little kick in the butt from... You know, wanting to do this thing as best we can. Sometimes technology is just funny, but we seem like we got a good connection with you this evening. We're really excited about that. Um, how have you been doing during this last, oh gosh, a little almost a year now? Almost a year now. It's pretty wild to think, but I've been keeping myself quite busy, too busy, maybe. Um, I'm very blessed to be able to say that I'm, I'm doing well. Thank you. Well, I know that you're, you're, you took this time to continue some uh, of your learning uh, desires or passions, things in, in uh, higher education. How's that going for you? It's going well. So actually, once, um, once we kind of realized that it wasn't going to be just six weeks of heading home and waiting for our tours to pick back up, I realized I, I was going to have some time on my hands. And uh, I was also realizing that we were going to have... Um, quite a journey ahead of us. So I actually decided to study clinical mental health counseling. Um, in the meantime, I think it's something our industry could use a little bit more love on True. Uh, in general. And so I'm happy to be able to kind of dig into that and use this time for something at least productive. <laughs> you, do you plan on coming back to the industry uh, when you, when this, we get back to going, I would say probably in the next four to six months, something like that. Is that what's your plans for the future? Well, I'm going to finish out this program because it's got all my money right now. <laughs> um, but, you know, we're going to see. I mean, I've definitely always played my life with a, a little bit of a no plan plan, kind of let let the world around me steer my decisions, which has turned out pretty OK so far. So we'll yeah. see what you, see you, what the wind where the wind takes us. I have a funny no matter what you end up doing, you're going to land on your feet. You seem like a very smart young person. Um, how did you end up getting in our business? What, what drove you towards more specifically, how did you get up into our business in lighting specifically? Okay. I know we only have an hour, so this could literally be like, <laughs> if you could like a the, whole night in the bar, right? The, um, the elevator speech on that. Yeah, for sure. So I grew up in a very artistic family. My parents are both music educators, both musicians, singers. Um, and so we grew up kind of familiar with the theater world. Um, and I went off to undergrad to be an English major and I got to my freshman orientation and looked at my English major classes and I looked at my friend's theater major classes and I went, no, you're right. That looks way more fun. <laughs> um, so I was really lucky at Rhode Island college. We had the opportunity to work in, um, in the roadhouse that they had there. We had a really, really kind of a world-class performing arts series there. Um, so we had the opportunity to work as stagehands while we were in undergrad. 
um, which is an amazing opportunity. And the reason I ended up doing lighting was because my brother did audio and he was already in that program. And he said, hey, quit it. <laughs> you're dating my friends. You're up in my program. Like, now you're gonna now you're gonna steal my job too. I was like, no, 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 it's cool, it's cool. You do audio. I'll do lighting. That's a thing, right? Um, so by the time I graduated, I got hooked up with a local production company and the gear was the same, the vocabulary was different, and that's history. That's how I ended up doing this. Oh man, they're lucky to have you. I mentioned that uh, you've you've worked with a, a, quite a few artists, and it, it seemed like you've really hit the ground running. Um, working with Heart. Now, this is a band that we've had. I've, I've had many guests on that have had uh, very close relations with them. I've worked with them quite a bit. My brother and myself. Uh, exciting band. How was your experience with Heart? It was amazing, and I think that my my opportunity that I had to work with Heart was one of those kind of life changing moments for me. Um, I'd been on a couple of smaller regional tours. I'd been on a national tour and had not a great time. Um, and then I had the opportunity to go out just on a regional run with heart as a technician. And it was, it was a moment where I realized that touring could be a family and it could be a career and it could be something that's artistic and fulfilling and not just, you know, waiting for your countdown timer to get you back to your home airport. Um, so having the opportunity to kind of cut my teeth with a band that's already legendary and already feels like a family was just a really amazing, incredible opportunity. They, yeah, they tend to really understand how, you know, when you've done something for 40 years, you tend to get your head around it. And uh, their crews, that, again, I have many friends that have worked in different uh, positions with them. Excellent band, true professionals, and the crew is uh, really above reproach. Uh, Royal Albert Hall. Now, what a venue. I know you did a live stream out of there with Heart. <laughs> Man, when you discussed it with me, when we were talking initially, you said you did a throw and go. <laughs> Tell me about that. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> so I had spent some time um, working with another band. I left Heart to go work with the Waterboys for a year, which was incredible. And got, um, I got to see a lot of Europe and a lot of the UK um, and Australia for the first time as well. Okay. And when they asked me to come back, to work with Hart as their lighting director instead of just as a substitute lighting director or, um, or as a technician. They asked me to come back and be their lighting director for this year with a big tour, but we started out with this little, little UK run. And uh, the very first show of the run was a live DVD shoot at Royal Albert Hall. Wow, what a place. Um, so, <laughs> so we got over to the UK, super jet lagged and there was already a gig in there the day before. So we did not have any time to tech our new rig live. We didn't have any time to load an earlier program early. Um, so we just had to roll in and go and they wanted to do it with, we did, we filmed with the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra as well. Um, so they rehearsed during sound check and we, just, I was very lucky to have an incredibly um, competent and flexible house, yeah. <laughs> house LD that day, who was, um, who was right there with me running all of the, you know, the house rig kind of in time with our, our concert rig. So it was, um, it was a really, really intense day. And at the end of it, I just went, <sighs> yeah, you could breathe again. You know? <laughs> sure. No, that's a, well, plus you were, you know, putting it to DVD. So that's a, there's a couple uh, pressures that play there and it's the oh, yeah. Royal Albert Hall. 
So some of the mm -hmm. best live shows have been captured at that place, and it's a, just a phenomenon. It's absolutely beautiful. Uh, switching over to Annie DeFranco, what a belter. I mean, just an incredible artist. Um, that had to be a lot of fun. It was great. It was really, really good. Um, that was one of the tours where they call you up and they say, we need an LD, but we don't really have a budget for a rig. Um, so having the opportunity to kind of work with her music and her passion and her poetry. Um, and the only thing we carried on that tour was a, a gobo that had her, um, her rise up logo for that tour. Um, so just kind of making sure that we advanced well and just getting in there and having a good time with the music every night with whatever we had at the venue was, it was it's kind of freeing really. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I tend to enjoy the throw and go on that. It's uh, It makes it more challenging, more interesting. And, and for a person like you in the lighting arts, which I tend to see as a little bit more of a creative pursuit, um, I could see there be a little, like the word freeing is definitely kind of sums it mm -hmm. up. So I could see the benefits of that. That sounds a lot of fun. You mentioned earlier, a second ago, that you worked with the Irish band. They're kind of, a, my understanding is kind of an Irish folk band. Uh, folk rock, kind of, kind of in the Proclaimers kind of area lane, uh, the Water Boys. Uh, I don't think very well known here in America, but they are. Uh, I was checking them out, and they had, I think, one thing I saw had 62 million views. They have definitely a dedicated following. Uh, what was your experience with those guys? Um, so the Water Boys are great. It's kind of hard to summarize like their genre because uh, yeah. they've been around for decades, and they have definitely kind of ridden creative waves throughout um, throughout their time. And, um, it was, it was really fantastic because they have these folksy, artsy, poetic roots. Um, and you can really tell that that kind of passion feeds directly into the way that they play on stage. So getting the chance to kind of get underneath their music and kind of, um, try and be a part of that, that passion that they bring to the stage was really, really fantastic. And um, it just so happened that probably the one you saw with a lot of views was their song, Fisherman's Blues, I'm guessing. It was, huh? Um, and that album and I both turned 25 on the road together. Oh, how which fun. Which the band did not think was very funny. But... <laughs> <laughs> Well, <laughs> it's adorable in its own kind of way, but, you know, uh, sometimes uh, as older guys, we struggle when we are re reminded of our age. And, and so, but it's, it's, it's good for us to know. Um, and, you know, the, I, I'm pretty sure as, um, as I go into my um, older days here, uh, that the, the guys, the young folks coming up like yourself, like Mikey and, and Kyle here, are really the future of this business. And, and so it's nice to get, to get your approach and your take on it. We've kind of been doing it for a while and, and some of the older guys need to kind of pull back and let you guys come in with your ideas and, and your approach to the gear and the, and the process. So that's a good thing. My good friend Kyle has a question for you. Let's go. Oh, I can't hear you. Yeah, we're not getting Kyle, Michael. Uh, I think somebody asked you what your favorite board to work on, Grandma. You know, one, two, uh, oh, sure. what, what uh, or have you worked with the three yet? Yeah, so the console that I'm most familiar with is the Grand MA2. It's what we programmed um, the Shed Tour for Heart on. Mm -hmm. um, and I've just found it to be an incredibly intuitive console. Um, and I've just barely gotten my hands on the MA3 before the pandemic hit um, and kind of knocked out that opportunity. Um, but I, I've found a lot of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I've been incredibly lucky to have gotten my hands on 
probably one of every console that every venue has, because when you're touring without a rig, without a console, you have to be able to make a show happen on anything. Yeah. Um, so if someone put me in front of, you know, an old Ava Lights Pearl and then something that I didn't know, I would be so excited to get on that Pearl and rock out a show. Um, but if, you know, if I'm programming a show to carry with me, the Grand Amé 2, I think, is the one that I would probably <laughs> still go for just because it's so comfortable. Yeah, I think a lot of uh, lighting technicians would agree with you on that, lighting designers. That seems to be the general consensus amongst you folks. And uh, we we use one here in the house, and it's uh, it's very utilitarian. It gets the work done for sure, and there's a certain rhythm to it, certain flow. Um, <clears throat> I mentioned that you work with Pink. Now, my history with Pink is Wow. Like really, we've you know we we throw up some Metallica shows and Def Leppard and Iron Man. We do some big shows, but but Pink brings a little something extra. I, I, it's hard to explain a Pink show. It's um, it's it's almost like Broadway meets rock and roll, and uh, I'm, I'm not exactly sure how to articulate it. Uh, and I know you've you've I think she's one of your most recent acts you've worked with. Um, can you tell us what a typical day in the life of doing a Pink tour show is? You know, kind of when from load in. Well, um, we kind of we kind of covered a lot of ground with that tour. So uh, I worked on the Beautiful Trauma Tour as a technician. I covered the Follow Me station, um, which is the remote follow spot system for that. Um, so I was fortunate enough to be able to do both years of that tour cycle, 2018 and 2019. Mm. Um, and we did arenas. We did stadiums. Um, we did stadiums in Australia where we kind of parked up for a couple of weeks straight where we only loaded in once and then loaded out after, you know, several shows. Um, so those days, you know, when we were in arena, we go in six or seven o'clock in the morning, load that sucker in, get sound check done, do the show. And we're out of there maybe 1, 1 a.m., 2 a.m. Um, but when we got to those stadium shows and we really had to kind of size up the rig quite a bit. Yeah. Um, there were some, you know, there were some days where we saw the sunrise on both ends. So um, the eventually, obviously with any big tour, you eventually get into a flow with something, but you know, if you want to have a production that's that big, you have to have a schedule that's that big too. Yeah. Put in the work for sure. How big is uh, an average pink lighting package in, in the far, in the, the number of 53s? I should have remembered that number. <laughs> I would have thought it would be etched in your brain just from trauma. <laughs> a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, though. I mean, I kind of look at the endless line of them. Um, we did this with uh, uh, Taylor Swift Goes Big. Um, mm -hmm. An odd one was Miley Cyrus, you know, 38 rigs. And uh, it's one of those things you just... It's kind of your between the awe of the size of the show and then, you know, the trauma of the size of the show is kind of just etches into your mind. Uh, but regardless, uh, you, you worked with Trey Songs. How was that? Uh, did you find any extra challenges working in the rap genre and the, the ten, tendency to kind of be minimalistic in the lighting? Well, so that was actually my first national tour that I had the opportunity to do as a technician. So I think I was probably pretty overwhelmed just by trying to keep up with everything at that point in my career sure. that I wouldn't have known how to compare it to any other, you know, artistic venture at that point in time. But it was a really, really good learning experience for me. Um, we carried a rig full of Mac 2Ks, which I'm sure any other lighting technician watching this is going, oh. Yeah, right. <laughs> so learned how to field strip and fix one of those in the dark. No problem. That's right. Yeah. Um, 
but it was a really good um, first experience as like a national touring production for for me. Oh, it, it, I'm sure it was a lot of fun. Do you have any preference? I, I kind of do this question um, when it comes up, and it comes up frequently more and more with audio and lighting, is do you have a preference to doing rap-type shows versus rock shows? Um, kind of depends. So I came up in the theater world, right? So I've definitely had a lot more experience with kind of... Um, like carefully programmed artistic, even like dance-like shows. So a lot more ethereal kind of um, kind of music. But a rock show with a parkan rig is some, it's like it brings something out in me that I just <laughs> absolutely love the improvisation of it and the power of it yeah. and just getting in there and like really becoming part of the music in that way sure. is something you can't beat. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. That's, uh, I think that feeling that you're referring to is kind of the thing that brings us back every time, at least for me. Uh, the difference between doing, so we mentioned rap and rock. Uh, how about, I know you have some experience with Heart, Water Boys, um, uh, and Wilson doing some live streaming events, as well as working them live. Do you have, uh, and to me there seems to be a distinct uh, difference in the lighting approach, color balancing, so on, with live streaming where you're kind of more... Um, getting the show to be what you see on TV versus the live approach, which what we see with our eyes. Uh, do you have mm -hmm. a preference there? Well, I think it depends on it's, ooh, it's a tough question too, right? Because everything these days ends up on YouTube, even if that's not what you're intending it to do. Good point. Um, so, and I think that's something that a lot of lighting designers right now are being more conscientious of, like, how is this going to look through a phone camera? And I think you guys as audio engineers and audio designers always get the notes from the artist, like, oh, I saw this video on YouTube and it sounded awful. Right. It's like, well, that's because you heard it through someone's phone, right? Yeah. Um, but you still need to kind of be aware of, like, how your color mixing looks on camera. You need to be aware of if you're washing people out on camera, if your looks are symmetrical on camera, even if they're captured in the middle of a big like a big ballyhoo or something. Um, so, I mean, I always prefer to light for the live audience because that's where my eyeballs are at that time as well. But it definitely is, it's, it's an important thing to remember when you're doing a live stream, how can you make it feel like a live show for everyone who's watching it on a screen as well? Well, I have to say that is probably the best answer I've been, had given to that question ever. Um, because I couldn't agree with you more. We're, we're transitioning and a little bit forced transition, but you're, you're not wrong. Before this all happened, we were that transition was in, in full effect. It was it was happening, but I think it sped up some. And uh, being more mindful of the fact that it kind of needs to be the best approach for both kind of formats, uh, the live format, and of course its replay format is um, probably the best approach. So that was a, a very interesting. Um, freelancing for the Boston Ballet. Now that is that is like the real deal. The Boston Ballet, how was that for you? Did you enjoy that? So that's a lot of shop work, which is great because you end up, <laughs> it's funny because you end up with these like really fantastic professionals who just happen to have a day off. So a lot of folks in Boston who are in um, the film local um, and a lot of folks who work in our, our IOTC local as well, who just happen to be able to take these shop calls. Um, so it's actually a really great time to kind of bounce ideas off of other people um, while you're just kind of building hang tapes and what. And, you know, it's it's my little way to feed my soul in terms of making sure that I keep a toe in the arts while I'm out on the road. Um, it's not like I'm out there actually doing a lighting focus for the ballet, but um, 
I really love making sure that I'm staying involved in that in that side of the arts while I'm out. Oh, yeah, I could totally understand that. And so you, you're uh, one of the, it sounds like you're cool with the um, the side of it where, you know, like you mentioned, you know, you know, field taking and stripping lights in the field as well as doing shops. So you're, you're kind of comfortable in both worlds as the, the show world and also, you know, making things happen and, uh, you know, problem solving on the fly. Yeah, well, and I mean, I think you probably also see this in audio, I'm guessing, where a lot of the technology, you have to make sure that you can tech it yourself. Um, and I've, I've worked with lighting directors who don't necessarily know the tech as well as we do, or I've been that lighting director who doesn't know the tech that I have my hands on. And it's really frustrating when you can't be a part of the solution. Um, so I feel like it's my responsibility to kind of know as much as I can about the technology that I'm using to make sure that I can fix a problem if something arises or if someday, I hope, I get to design something that's huge. I know what I'm putting people through with what I'm implementing um, as part of a design. That's perfectly understandable, yes. I, I, I like to think that as technicians, we are, are at our best when we can kind of uh, put out fires when, as they happen and, and make things happen on the fly, as well as be able to then make the gear as it's working properly, you know, deploy it as it's supposed to be. And so, um, yeah, that's something I try to get the, the youngsters in the game to kind of appreciate that, how important that is, it's critically important, especially when you're touring. Um, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that Kevin O'Brien said, hey, Gabby, from the North, the, the North Jersey Yahtzee Sisters and Brothers at the Mayo Pack Center in Morristown. So I just I wanted, those folks. <laughs> I, I just wanted to make sure I did that for uh, Kevin. Um, also, uh, you worked with All Time Low. They're a very specific band. How was that for you? That was a fun one. Um, that was just a quick little ripper of a gig. I ran out there as the solo tech for a little bit. And then my amazing, actually currently my roommate, my dear friend from East Coast Lighting came out and joined me after a few weeks to tech that with me um, for the LD Jeff Meeker, who is amazing. Yeah, very talented. Um, and it was a really fun, like we were talking about kind of working with different, within different genres of touring. Working with All Time Low was another great genre to kind of dip a toe into because it came from these like great grassroots, like kind of punk, kind of punk lifestyle that you don't necessarily get to work with all the time. So um, we might have been playing some more challenging venues, but the spirit of everybody involved was so upbeat and so positive and the fan base was so great that it was like it was hard to feel dragged down at the end of the day when everyone else is just lifting you up. It was a lot of fun. No, that sounds great. Yeah, there seems to be a certain kind of sensibility in the, I would call them kind of a post or proto-punk band. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, they're a lot of fun. And uh, it kind of be is the uh, the general vibe, you know, you go out with Rancid or Suicidal or bands like that, and they have a kind of a, a, kind of a stage presence. But what happens backstage tends to be much more family kind of brotherly thing in the modern era, you know, when we came up in the early days. Um, I started in the punk rock business. Um, it wasn't really a business at the time. It was just a thing. And, um, and it, was, it was different. And I think over time, as the, as the artists have aged in the process and time and the, the, the fans, it's, uh, it's in, in, for me, invariably a, a more intimate and fun experience than doing some of the larger shows, which have their own challenges and great things about them. But, but yeah, I can totally relate to that. Uh, 
in your experience to date, now you've worked with some great acts, you some really fun bands. Um, do you have a favorite moment? A favorite moment? <laughs> I mean, there are so many, right? And like in, for so many different reasons. Um, you know, just there was, um, for example, on, on the Ani DeFranco tour, there was one evening where um, we had to do that drive from San Francisco to L.A. And I'm sure everyone's kind of been in that moment where the tour manager says, all right, do we want to park up outside the gig in San Francisco and then drive into L.A. to get the hotels mid-morning? Or do we want to drive straight there and hope they have rooms ready for us, right? So we're just hanging out, killing time outside the Fillmore in San Francisco. Um and it was, it was just a really great night of hanging out and like good jams on the bus, great conversation. Um, and it was one of those just moments where you're like, is this my life? Like <laughs> if I told 16 year old me that this is what I would be doing on like a Wednesday night with that, you know? Oh, and so and I think those are, it, it sounds like a very simple memory, but just having, being able to kind of close your eyes and remember those those feelings and sitting in that moment, I think are some of the most valuable things that we get out of the road. Oh, that's a very sweet memory. And I know exactly what you're talking about. I think there's, um, once you kind of get into the, the grind of uh, being on tour, uh, that kind of, that uh, irrepressible kind of nomad quality that comes with it. And that if you embrace it, it's, it, you can find moments when you need to pinch yourself and like go, wow, this is what I get to do for a living and feel pretty lucky, and I and I think we are lucky in that what we get to do. Um, and as a result, I try not to share it too often because I don't think it's it's easily relatable, you know, uh, with the folks that aren't in the game. And so I'm glad that you've had that. Uh, and I think you've got an incredibly bright future ahead of you. My goodness, I mean, your resume so far is really impressive. And well, thanks. Uh, and I can only imagine things that you'll get up to and some of the some of the relationships. You know, a lot of this is networking and building relationships along the way. And so it seems like you're making some good connections from here. Some of the folks that you've worked with. I noticed that you uh, came to one of my roadie pages recently and you uh, you answered the questions to get in and. And one part of it said uh, that you were an all-around coffee drinker. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was very cute. Uh, well, so do you think, so when in, in my day, we used other uh, parts of the periodic table to uh, motivate ourselves. But it seems in this, the world of Starbucks and Pete's and so on that that seems to be the, the go-to of choice. So you find that coffee is a big part of the, uh, the working environment, the kind of efficiency rates of uh, working in the modern touring industry? So I have definitely, you know, faced my fears in terms of trying to cut back, right? Like, <laughs> you know, it becomes a default thing. I don't smoke cigarettes. So it became like, I'm going to go get a cup of coffee. Like, you all figure this out. I'm going to go get a cup of coffee or I need a break from this right. cup of coffee. My hands are cold. Cup of coffee. Like, <laughs> it's a good default. Like, I'm going to walk away for a moment. Sure. Um, and then, of course, you end up drinking the dregs of eight our old catering coffee and that's not good for anybody right. um but in more recent years um is actually a friend on the andrew mcmahon in the wilderness tour kind of turned me on to the AeroPress as a means for brewing and i thought it was some kind of hipster bullshit when he showed me and then i tried it and i was like this is brilliant so i don't know if you've seen these things it looks like a little science experiment but it's made out of plastic it's indestructible you could put it in your suitcase and having this little coffee ritual with me in my suitcase has become one of the most grounding rituals just of like kind of centering myself on the road. It means that you can have a really good cup of coffee in any 
weird smelly hotel room in any bus kitchenette in any catering room you can just make yourself this thing that kind of is consistent and is what you want to have in that moment and i have found that to be absolutely priceless oh that sounds like a really good if, if you're listening and out there folks that actually sounds like you're, like you're really dialing in the, the the road experience to work for you and it, it's it's the little things you know god lives in the details if there's a god at all he lives in the little stuff and it's uh, it's those little things that can really make the difference Hey, Tony Lewis chimed in and said, uh, what's your favorite personal jam music? Oh, that's an interesting oh, question. man. Okay. Hear me out, guys. Rusted yeah. Root oh, yeah. always brings it back home. Yeah, that's good stuff. <laughs> yeah. All right, I'm, I'm up for anything Queens of the Stone Age. I'm just pretty much you know, 24-7. Just put it in and it's going to put a spring in my step. We all got something, I guess, right? You got to. Yeah, absolutely. Let me ask you... Um, if somebody, uh, a young person and, you know, an associate uh, was coming to you and asking you advice, uh, uh, what they should do to become successful, to get into this business, would you, would you give them advice? Would you advise them away from the industry? How would you proceed with something like that? Well, I think anybody who comes to you and says, I want to try out this industry, let them make that decision. Like this industry either shows you that you will make it or that you don't have it. And like, that's for each of us to experience on our own. Right. So, um, and I certainly had plenty of people tell me like, Oh, you're too nice for this. I was like, fuck you. (laughs) Do what I want. Um, but I think what I would say to someone is to embrace the opportunities that you're given, right? Like you can always, if you don't feel safe working for someone or with someone or in a certain situation, you can always leave, but you're not going to get those opportunities if you kind of nip them in the bud, right? So I would tell a young person who wants to learn more and to do more in this industry to say yes, the opportunities that show up. Yes, uh, yes is a very helpful word. And um, we mentioned this before we went on the air, you know, uh, having as many um, talents in your given part of your trade and uh, abilities, uh, you know, tools in your toolbox, as it were, is very helpful. So we try to cross train in, in here in our shop. Um, this is a question that came up from the, that came into my mind based on the the answer that you just gave us. And uh, forgive me if it, it it comes off um, uncouth. I don't. I wanted to sound right. Do has there have you noticed in the industry? Is there any particular challenges to being a female in the industry, which is rather a male dominated industry? Like, do you, again, do you want the six hour long answer? <laughs> I might have opened up a can of worms here. Um, but, but I, I really mean, do. but I it is interested. a can of worms. Well, but I am very interested in your perspective on this because uh, I notice on my pages, for example, in my roadie groups, we do analytics on the show, we do analytics on the pages, and it shows that it's probably somewhere between a 13 and 18 uh, percent um, female audience that we reach out to. I know this in my hiring. Uh, when we're when we're looking for folks to work with, we try to be as inclusive as possible. Of course, also taking into account talent and and you know skills. But there there's a you know when I'm looking for ten people, to, I, there may be two females in that group, and, and that's just the 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 working pool I have to work with. So is there something going on that we're doing or that we could be doing better as a bunch of knuckleheaded males uh, in this industry to make it so that you felt like you can answer that question easily? Yeah, well, I do know that there is a generation of really badass women who have been paving the way for women in my age group. Absolutely. And 
I owe a whole career to them and the shit they put up with and the shit they wouldn't stand for. Um, and the fact that they just got in there and did their jobs and did them well and proved that like, it doesn't matter. We're here to do our jobs. Um, so what I would say, um, it kind of comes with a little bit of a story, if that's okay. Oh, please. I would like you to expand on this as much as you feel comfortable. So there was um, the 2016 tour that I did with Heart was a shed tour. It was great. I was the lighting director for Heart. We had two other bands on the bill with their own LDs, and they were both amazing dudes. And they're, you know, storied and should also be on this show with you guys. They're great. Um, but what we what we ended up doing was we were at some venue, I think, in North Carolina, working with the local crew. I'm chatting with one of the other LDs about who's, you know, who's running the snake, who's doing this, who's doing that, who's tipping the desk for us. And out of nowhere, stagehand lets himself into a conversation. He's like, oh, someone sounds like she's in charge. And I was like, yes. So anyway, you're not part of this conversation. Um, and later on, the same guy kind of approached me off to the side and implied that I should see him uh, in the backseat of his car later. Oh, my God. And so <laughs> is... I went to my crew chief Whoa. and I said, Matthew, I don't know who this guy is, but I don't want to see him on my spot call and I don't want to see him in our department for a loadout. Um, now my crew chief took it to the local chief who came to me and said, I am incredibly sorry. I have daughters and I would never want them to go through that. And I will take care of this. And he reported it to their HR department. The guy was fired. He obviously was not back for show call, which was great. But for the rest of the day, the rest of my crew kept coming up to me and people being like, I'm so sorry that happened to you. And I'm like, this happens all the time. Like, this is just the first time somebody did something about it. Wow. And I was not just surprised that someone did something about it, but I was surprised that I felt surprised that someone did something about it because that should be the norm. Absolutely. And it turned out that this guy was kind of a creep and a lot of the local lady stagehands also came to me and were like, thank you. Like, we've been dealing with that for a long time. Um, so what we can do as an industry is to call each other out on our bullshit make sure that we're not letting that happen. And it doesn't matter. I think I think that went as far as it did because I happened to be the LD for the headlining band. I'd like to think that if I were just, you know, a kid with a vendor, that it would have also been taken as seriously. But we need to make sure that we're holding each other accountable when we see these things happen. I personally will knock a, uh, you can kind of ask anybody that knows me, I will knock somebody straight the fuck out, excuse my language, in a moment like that. I wouldn't hesitate twice, and that's probably the inappropriate way to, but I absolutely have a daughter and a mother and sisters and a woman I love, and that is uh, uh, absolutely inappropriate. Our, our comm lines over here and our comments are firing off like crazy. The comments like, uh, girl power, we need more females in the, the game, so on and so mm -hmm. forth. I think we can all easily, happily agree that that is absolutely unacceptable and good for you for sticking up for what's right and for women in general. And, you know, there's always going to be knuckleheads out there. And because we're a little um, testosterone heavy in the game, 
that that needs to be sorted. And luckily, the evolution of the mind, I've watched it happen over the last 30 years. I, it's happened to me, frankly. I was uh, much more uh, uh, narrow-minded knucklehead in the 80s. Not as much about women, but in other, other, other ways, kind of punk rock ways that needed to be kind of sorted out over time and with age and, you know, growing with a little grace. And I feel like that's happening in our industry, but we're not there yet for sure, and your experience proves that. So I would can assure you that here at Sound Image, we are extraordinarily mindful of how that they that employees in general, regardless of uh, you know gender, uh, interact with each other. It's critically important, to, you know, having a kind of a harmonious way to to run business and to to legally create a safe space for everybody. And that goes without saying. Now, of course, roadies. With that said, you know we're knuckleheads. We we kind of have a little bit. Uh, um, uh, sense of humor that can be a little bit um, colorful. And uh, there's a certain amount that you leave for that, but there's never, I can imagine, I can't say, uh, my, my wife just said, Atta girl, uh, she, she's with you all the way. Uh, and, and of course she is. Um, that, um, you know, although we might tell some colorful jokes and uh, occasionally speak fluent French, uh, it's never allowed to go into a place of, um, you know, uh, where it's a gender specific and or um, lifestyle specific. These are unacceptable places to, uh, you know, people that deal with artists like we do, um, I'd like to think we're of a, a little bit more open mind and a little more evolved thought uh, than some of the, our counterparts in the civilian life. So I'm glad to hear that you, you dealt with that in a, in a logical way that had uh, positive results. And uh, hopefully going forward that that's something that you experience less and less. Yeah, and I think that the more we can make this just an equitable space for all kinds of people, we're going to get the talents that all of those people possess, and it's just going to improve the industry overall. So I completely agree. Well, you know, we're, it's partly cultural. You know, if you look at a place like Israel, where a female, male, they, everybody goes into the military, there's no really uh, uh, gender imbalance as it relates to a sense of what a person can do based on gender, and uh, it's it's a little bit of an, um, it's a little bit of an old Protestant way that still lingers with some of the old white guys on the planet, and uh, it's it's you know it's not to our credit. So um, it's people like you doing the right thing. Hopefully people management like me that uh, when, some, when we are made aware of something not going uh, correctly or, or that's inappropriate, we will drop a hammer down quick and respond appropriately to some, something like that. Because it just has no place in the industry. Zero, zero, no place. So good for you. I'm kind of proud of you right now. Good stuff. Um, let me ask you, you've been in the game long enough. You've been watching what's going on. Uh, in our situation in the, in the industry, what's your sense of how we're going to work our way out of this thing and back into some work? Oh, man, I don't know. I've had so many long conversations with friends about, you know, how we think it might go. And like, I think we we all just need to trust that this is going to take some time to build back up to the level of productions that we were seeing, you know, in 2019 the beginning of 2020, because not only is this lack of work and income damaging the individuals, it's damaging the infrastructure of the way that our businesses work and the way that, you know, our venues and our locals and all that is being harmed right now. So it's going to take some time for us to recover from that. But knowing the spirits of the people around us, it's going to happen, you know, like, if there's nothing we know how to do better, it's we know how to push through hard, hard times. 
Oh, absolutely. What do you think about this proposal? I, I, you know, again, on the groups we have a lot of, we make memes and we make funny about, uh, you know, the kind of ability for uh, an average industry crew to, to grab a hold of a situation and, you know, slam it into, into a, a facility, make it by doors, you know, under all these deadlines, constraints, you know, people come in, we make the show happen. That's kind of the roadie way. Uh, and I know our industry reached out to government to, to potentially offer our services and our kind of logistics skills and our getting things done kind of uh, work ethic to the uh, to helping out in this kind of moment. Do you think that's something that's viable? Absolutely. Absolutely it is. Yeah, I, I think we could at least give them a couple quick, uh, you know, lessons on how to get things done in a timely way and, and on to the next thing. Uh, it might be an interesting approach. Listen, it's been a great, a great treat to talk with you tonight. Thank you so much for making time for us. I know you're, you're on the East Coast, so you're, you're up a little later. We very much appreciate it. It's been a delight to, to get to know you and hear your stories. We have uh, big hopes for you. I hope to see you sometime out in our world, in, in the touring world, and to work with the big bands. And uh, we wish you the best. Thank you for coming. Thanks on. so much. It was our pleasure. Thank you, ma'am. Very cool. Guys, listen, uh, what a great guest. I couldn't be more lucky. I don't know how I get, you know, turned on to such great people. She was lovely. Um, we have uh, a big stuff coming up in the weeks ahead. We're really uh, excited about next week. We've got the one and only uh, Ken Van Dorten. Uh, also, you may know him as Pooch. Uh, that's Van Halen's engineer, Kisses guy, uh, currently with Iron Maiden. He's a general all-around god in this game. And uh, I always tell the guys when I'm trying to motivate him, you know, that we, we want them to grow up and be like Pooch or Greg Price or Brad Maddox. So we got Pooch coming in next week. He's, he's a, a wonderful man, incredibly talented. So please tune in for that. That's 7 That's what Mike's fighting for is to be a baby Pooch. <laughs> That's his birthday, man. What the hell? Be nice to Mike. <laughs> but, but, but Mike's well on his way because Mike is sharp as a damn tech. And, and if anybody could can make it to the levels that Pooch has made it. I mean, I'll tell you this. Uh, Greg Price said about Mike, just as an aside, Greg Price is Ozzy's guy. He's our dear friend. He's right here in the building. Uh, and that's Ozzy, Rage Against Machine, Smashing Pumpkins, uh, Van Halen, uh, one of the biggest engineers in the world, uh, one of the most accomplished. Said of Michael one day, he let him play with some of uh, Mr. Crowley Rough Stems board mixes and said that that was the best mix that he had ever heard anybody do of a Ozzy song. Now that, when if Greg Price says that and he's not real fast and loose with the the compliments he's he kinda, sure isn't he kind of keeps it close for him to say that about mike brown our executive producer the man mixing the sound right now that's kind of a huge thing to say and we were if you remember at the time we were all like god damn <laughs> yeah good, good quite job a, dude quite a statement when <laughs> greg price says that that's like a thing so so you make you were being kind of cute but i think seriously Definitely you know, somebody, seriously. So, yeah, somebody at some point is taking over for the people like Greg Price and Brad Maddox, you know, when they when they hang up their spurs. And I, in my mind, it's people like yourself and Mikey Brown and others that we work with, you know, because you guys really are the next wave. And we feel very strongly about that. And that's the whole idea of what... I'm what, starting to call him Baby Pooch from now on. Well, you could, I'd get that cleared <laughs> if I was he's going to start muting you. <laughs> <laughs> At age 33, he's just... Yeah, he, he muted, just muted me. me. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> See, you don't fuck with the sound guy. Everybody on that side of the camera, you respect as best you can. I want to send some love out to my dear, dear friend, John Del Rio, who has the page Loving Hands for Stan Chance. I really uh, appreciate him very much. He... 
he um, he's running a service over there on Facebook, a closed group called Loving Hands for Stage Hands. That's really necessary, I feel, right now. And they run it with care and kindness. And if you need to go kind of, you know, work on some stuff's bugging you, there's some like-minded folks in the industry over there. And Johnny and my brother run that. And uh, Bob Powers, it's a, it's a great thing. So I would very much check in. Uh, send some love out to the, our dear, dear friend, Charlie Zaricki. We got mad love for him. He's a brother and a half. Uh, Charlie, keep an eye out for the mail. We're sending you something. And, of course, Tony uh, Lewis, uh, an extraordinary light guy and a, and a crack up, and he's all over our pages and just a good friend. So right on, guys. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We appreciate it very much. I wanted to send a special note out to Clint Winsley. Clint Winsley's Crew Music Asia. He had the unfortunate... Uh, he's, Crew Music Asia implies exactly what it is. He has a, had a huge career in, in China and uh, associated areas with uh, some very, very large concerns over there right at the time that this whole uh, COVID thing took off and, and, and he had to get out of Dodge and went to his home country of Canada. And um, we helped him out with that. They, the, the, there was some. It's too deep of a story, but um, we helped him do that to get him across the the Pacific to where he should have been. And um, and he sent us a card. This is only a year ago, the twentieth, when he when he got out of Hong Kong, and he sent us this card, which is really very very nice, uh, saying you know thanks for us being brothers and being there for him when he needed us. And he sent back some love in the card, which was absolutely unnecessary and very sweet. We helped out because of the love and the brotherhood. Um, but that was very sweet. Clint, we're glad to hear. Clint signed a three-year deal uh, here recently to get back into Asia and do what he does, which is put on very, very big shows. And we're excited for him. So, Clint, our best to you, my brother. We want you to succeed and be happy. And we're really glad to hear that that's going your way. A quick shout-out to some of our sponsors, uh, Sweet Treatments, uh, Chef's Touch, uh, Diablo Digital, LSV, the great people at LSV, and of course our parent company, which is uh, Sound Image Productions and Southern California Sound Image and the great Dave Shadona, George Edwards. We appreciate you guys a great deal. Thank you very much. Next week again, we've got Pooch uh, Van Dorten is going to be on. He's going to talk big rock and roll, giant shows, working for some of the best. I suggest you tune in. It will be a great show. Until then, uh, if you like what you see, we're here on YouTube, Facebook Live, and Twitch. Mark, subscribe. We'd appreciate it. Keep an eye out for some uh, merchandising opportunities coming up. We love you guys. Take very good care of yourselves. Be kind to each other. Good night.